1: so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast contains adult content, explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains Murder. Lots and lots of murder.
0: You stinking
1: bastard. People tell me, you say, hey, you're gonna go die and go to hell. At
0: least I'm not wrong. Stand for 911, where's your emergency? This
1: is Katie. It's a pretty one work. Back, Crimin Road.
0: Turn the police. Turn the police. And you guys don't be a hero, mate. And no, I said, I'm not trying to be a hero, but the police are coming.
1: One in the chest, one in the hip. Fired by Detective Sergeant Roger Rogers. I was uh, branching out. That's when the cannibalism started. Eating of the heart and uh, the arm muscle. I wear a male car with his hands, the and just pull it out of his backside. Car is a wobbly, bottom, little cherub face, cherub face little boy who's alive with me. I harm someone each time I kill someone. There'd be an enormous amount of... Especially at first, enormous amount of horror, guilt, remorse afterwards, but then that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger. Half-arsed con man and serial killer Robert S. James gained infamy when he tried to murder his fifth wife, Mary, by putting her leg into a box of rattlesnakes. When she failed to die in a timely enough fashion, he drowned her in the bathtub and tried to cash in her life insurance policy.
0: Insurance investigators discovered his third wife, Winona, had also died by drowning shortly after marrying him and taking out a large insurance policy. His nephew had met an untimely end in a bizarre fashion too and the less said about what he got up to with his 18-year-old niece, the better.
1: Hi, I'm Tara Saraband from Bloody Murder,
0: and I'm Cambo Ford from True Crime Island.
1: And this is a special crossover episode on serial killer Rattlesnake James.
0: Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is Bloody Murder on True Crime Island.
1: Now, unfortunately, Barney can't be here today as he's busy with work and family commitments.
0: (laughs) I'm still picking the hairs off my jacket after the hug he gave me last Friday night. (laughs) He's worse than the cat.
1: Or better, depending on what you're into. Is
0: he too busy to record today because he's building a life-size wax statue of himself to smuggle into Madame Tussaud's wax museum?
1: Well, he finally saved up enough earwax, so it's a natural progression.
0: It might be hard for him to get the texture of the jorts just right.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, he's struggling with that, but he'll push through.
0: Earwax is a tough medium to work in. Getting those curves just right, and it takes skilled hands.
1: So I hear. Are you wearing jorts in his honour today, Cambo?
0: Oh, am I supposed to wear pants while doing this?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Now, (laughs) you know what? As long as I can't see it, I don't care. Now before we commence our sorted tales, we'd like to remind you that this episode is brought to you by our wonderful and generous patrons.
0: We've had quite a few new ones join our Patreon programs, which we will thank individually after our story.
1: If you'd like to become a patron, go to our website for details. That's bloodymurderpodcast.com or
0: truecrimeisland.com.
1: Alrighty, Cambo. Let's get murdering. Let's do it. On the evening of August 4, 1935, Jim and Viola Pemberton picked up their friend Robert James from work and drove him to his new house in La Canada, California, where they were to have dinner with James and his fifth wife, Mary. 39-year-old James and his 25-year-old wife, Mary, had only been married for around three months. They'd met when James hired Mary to work as a manicurist at his barber shop in downtown Los Angeles. When the three arrived at the James house, vivacious blonde Mary did not meet them at the door as expected. In fact, the house was dark and appeared to be unoccupied. After entering the property, James searched every room in the house looking for his new bride, but she was nowhere to be found. With a look of concern growing on his face, James suggested that the Pembertons look outside in the backyard for Mary. According to an article in LA Mag, Jim Pemberton shone his flashlight around the large yard as he carefully made his way through dense shrubbery to the fish pond beyond. He later told the media I had the flashlight pointing to the other side of the pond. I nearly stumbled on the body before I saw it. I looked down and it was right at my feet. Then I turned my light upon it and saw Mrs. James lying with her face in the water. Her yellow hair was floating. When Pemberton called out to James that he'd found Mary and she was dead, James dropped to his knees and put on quite the show of being a grieving husband, even though it certainly wasn't his first time playing that role. James was a dodgy, half assed con artist and an unlikely ladies' man. According to an article in LA Mag, he was described as pasty with a shock of slicked back red hair, red rimmed green eyes, and a high nasal voice. So he must have talked a bit like this Hey, baby, want to come
0: sit in my barber's chair? Hey, baby, do you have any branger in you? Would you like some? <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: God. No, thank you. James was also known not to be the sharpest tool in the shed. A childhood neighbour described him to the press as being less than a half-wit. But it seems that for whatever reason, James certainly had a way with the ladies.
0: He must have been quite the master manipulator.
1: Yeah, you don't need to have a mind like a Mensa think tank to manipulate people, do you? Nah,
0: you just got to be good at telling them what they want to hear.
1: According to the Los Angeles Times, Robert S. James was born Major Raymond Lisenba to a poverty-stricken and abusive sharecropper father in Alabama in 1895.
0: So, his first name was Major?
1: Yep, it's sure easier to name someone that than to have them
0: earn the rank themselves. So, if you have a kid, you should name it, say, El Presidente. (laughs) Oh, I will. (laughs) Imagine the teachers at school. Ellie, Ellie, stop taking bribes from the cartel brothers.
1: It seemed young Major was destined for a rough life working the land like his nasty pa, but his older sister's generous husband swooped in and sent the young lad away to barber school. In 1921, 26-year-old Major married a young woman named Maud Duncan. Wedded life did not turn out to be anything like the romantic movies young Maud liked to watch at the picture show. In fact, it was more like a diary entry written by the Marquis de Sade, and Maud soon divorced her husband, accusing him of kinky, sadistic sex. Which
0: is totally golden. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> we can be. We're just totally I mean cool. But only if you're both into it. Yeah,
1: look, one-sided sadomasochism is just plain sadism. After the lightning-fast failure of his first marriage, James did what anyone in his position would do. He changed his name and he moved to Kansas. Here, the jockey-voiced red-headed Romeo pitched his special brand of freckly woo at another unsuspecting young woman named Vera. It wasn't long before James found himself a new
0: bride. However, his marriage to Vera would also prove to be
1: short-lived.
0: It came to a jarring halt when the father of a pregnant young woman, James, had been diddling on the down low, ran him out of town with a shotgun. Now, Tara, I thought the shotgun was to make them get married, not run him out of town. And I I wonder what colour hair the kid had.
1: I imagine it was probably the colour of Fanta. Yeah. So James ran off to North Dakota with his tail between his legs, hoping to protect it from any shotgun blasts.
0: After the death of James's mother, she bequeathed. (laughs) I I knew I was going to say that. I tried not to say that.
1: (laughs) You should just go with it, I think.
0: (laughs) Sorry. I meant she bequeathed to him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the, process, the proceeds of her life insurance policy. This lurched the lazy hamster running on his brain treadmill into action and James found himself having some ideas. They were dark, dastardly ideas about murder and life insurance fraud. Soon after, James married his fifth wife, Mary, who worked as a manicurist at his barber shop. He convinced her to take out a ten thousand dollar life insurance policy on herself, which equates to about one hundred ninety three thousand dollars today. How many Barney bolers? <laughs> How many bolers is that? That's
1: around seventy billion infinity bolers, I
0: believe, Cambo. <laughs> we're, we're not, we're not sure what he said to Mary to in that direction, but we do know it was delivered in a high pitched nasal. tone.
1: Oh, it's a really good idea if you take out some life insurance, my Yeah, darling, nothing will happen to you. Nothing bad anyway, just lots of love and good times.
0: Look, maybe she agreed to it so he would just shut up and stop talking. Oh, maybe. When planning a murder for ill-gotten life insurance money, it's important to choose an accomplice wisely. Yeah, look, you'd want someone who knew what they were doing, right? Someone who'd been in the military, perhaps? Certainly not a... Degrade actor with a samurai sword. Oh, hell no. You'd want someone who was dodgy, but also trustworthy
1: and possibly an ideas man.
0: So, a financially strapped ex sailor and hot dog stand operator who was a customer of your barbershop, that sounds like he'd fit the bill, right? No. Well, that's exactly you, James chose to assist him on his deadly mission. Agreed. The man's name was Charles Hope, and he didn't have many scruples. He wasn't just broke, but he was morally bankrupt as well. According to an article in LA Mag, he later said in court, Robert James came to me early in June last year and said he had a friend who wanted to kill his wife and that it would be worth a hundred bucks for me to get a couple of rattlesnakes. I said, all right. It was none of my business what he wanted the snakes for.
1: Yeah, nice one, you bumbling twat waffle.
0: Later, James told police that it was actually Charles Hope who came up with several colourful ideas about how they could make sweet, innocent Mary meet her untimely demise. Now, James said his first suggestion was that they kill Mary by putting a bunch of black widow spiders in a bed. Now Hope even found a way to grab a nest of Black Widow spiders. I mean, where the fuck did you get Black Widow spiders from in bulk? I don't know and I don't care to know. These spiders were indeed placed inside the house and one of them did bite Mary. In a letter to a friend, she spoke about having a sore and swollen leg from a spider bite she thought she'd received while gardening. Although the experience was not pleasant or convenient, It was also not fatal. Yeah, that's a pretty risky
1: move, planting a nest of black widow spiders in the house that you also live in. It
0: certainly is, but it does sound like something a less than half-wit would do. Yeah, that's true. According to LA Mag, the thick-as-bricks murder duo of James and Hope next discussed burning down the house around the unfortunate woman poisoning her through scratched skin with a chemical and shooting her in a fake hold-up as alternative murder methods. My God.
1: I know. I wonder if they considered putting a large angry kangaroo in her closet.
0: Or dropping an anvil on her head on a trip <laughs> to the Grand Canyon.
1: Mip meep, meep. Surely they toyed with the idea of donning fake mustaches and top hats and tying her to the train tracks. Well, if
0: they were in Australia, they could have taken her to the bush and waited for a drop bear to get her. Ah, oh, that's true. Now look, now now we're just being a little bit ridiculous here. These were two practical men of reason. Eventually they came up with a plan so clever and reliable that it just had to work. They would murder Mary with rattlesnakes. Now all oh. that, yeah, now all they had to do was go buy some rattlesnakes and wait for their payday to come rolling in. Kaching, Ranger's gonna get the bag. The nefarious blockheads went to Reptile Gardens on Ocean Park Pier in Santa
1: Monica and bought three rattlesnakes from a fancy snake purveyor named Mike Ullman. But these weren't the kind of deadly killy rattlesnakes they had in mind. In fact, they were little sweethearts who preferred cuddles to biting people. Proclaiming that they were no good, James took the snakes back to Mike Ullman and demanded a refund. Deciding if they wanted top quality rattlesnakes, they probably had to shop at a top quality rattlesnake store. Hope went to see legend of the slithery snake world Joseph C. Hutenbrink, otherwise known as Snake Joe, at his snake farm in Pasadena. Snake Joe later told police that Hope had rocked up to his snake farm with a suspicious story about why he was there. Apparently Hope said to him, Oh, Got a big bet that a rattlesnake will strike and eat a rabbit and I want the meanest thing you've got to make sure I win. Now, Snake and Joe. Snake Joe knew bullshit when he heard it and was side-eyeing the shit out of Hope but decided to fulfil his request anyway by selling him two six-year-old desert diamondback rattlesnakes named Lethal and Lightning. Grizzled snake salesmen tend to stick together and it turned out Mike Ullman and Snake Joe were mates. Snake Joe later said, Oh, Mike Alman came to my place and in the course of our conversation asked me if the man who wanted some hot rattlesnakes had been to see me. I told him he had and we talked it over and well, the whole thing seemed suspicious.
0: Ah, the suspicions of two grizzled snake salesmen. And that's the name of the lead single of Barney's fourth album, you're in my heart, you're in my jorts. Ah, <laughs> oh,
1: love that album. So hauntingly beautiful. <laughs> this makes me want to sing along and dance in a baby doll nighty in a field.
0: Oh, my God.
1: In the early hours of the morning on August 4th, 1935, James decided it was time to get rid of his loving wife for good. Mary had become pregnant to her potent ginger husband, and he'd told her that having a baby at this time would cause the couple financial ruin and coaxed her into agreeing to an abortion. He told her that he'd asked around and managed to find a doctor willing to do the illegal deed, but he said it was important that the doctor's identity be kept a secret, so he taped her eyes shut. Mary, who was dressed in pink pyjamas, was plied with whiskey and sedatives until she fell unconscious. James then picked her up and put her on the table in their breakfast nook. Do you have a breakfast nook, Cambo? (laughs) No. I have no. Now, the doctor James had found was not a doctor at all. He didn't
0: even have a master of none from the College of Bullshit. He did
1: not. This fake doctor was none other than his skeevy hot dog vendor and rattlesnake procuring mate Hope who came into the house carrying a box with the two rattlesnakes in it. Now, I don't know about you, Cambo, but I would have thought there'd be something more reliable to carry around your rattlesnakes in rather than a cardboard box. Well,
0: I've, the only way I've seen rattlesnakes carried around is in bags, in hessian bags. Hesh and bags.
1: H- Everyone knows you put the snakes yeah, in the bags, not the don't box. do put them in a cardboard box. I mean, box. come on. No, not a cardboard what box. Never a cardboard box. Not a good idea. Now, according to the LA Times, Hope walked into a nightmarish scene. He saw Mrs. James tied with cotton rope to the top of a table, her mouth and eyes covered with adhesive tape. The woman gave only a little groan before James thrust her leg into the box occupied by two vicious rattlesnakes. The snakes, lethal lightning bit Mary three times on the leg. Despite her out-of-it state of mind, Mary writhed in pain upon being bitten by the snakes. Now James sat in the breakfast nook, waiting impatiently for his wife to die, while Hope sat in his car in the garage, unable to stomach the gruesome scene taking place inside.
0: According to an article in Healthline.com, although rattlesnakes are venomous, their bites are rarely fatal. However, if left untreated, the bite may result in severe medical problems that can kill you. The venom from rattlesnake bites will affect a person's circulatory system by destroying skin tissue and blood cells and by causing internal hemorrhaging. Bodily functions will break down over a period of two or three days and the bite may result in severe organ damage or death. And it sounds like Barney and I last Friday night.
1: Oh, so I heard. You were a lot worse for wear by the time I saw you the next day.
0: <laughs> now... You didn't know where you were. <laughs> this wasn't good enough for James, who seemed to think Mary would die the second the snakes bit up. Now, after hours of sitting around checking his watch and growing thoroughly pissed off that Mary wasn't dead yet, James decided to take matters further into his own sweaty little hands, so he filled up the bathtub with water carried her into the bathroom and drowned her. Afterwards, the sodden and James came out to the garage to tell Hope the waiting was over. Now, James ordered Hope to follow him inside. Half drunk and unsure what he'd find, he did so. Hope later told authorities, I walked in and saw this girl lying on the floor just outside the bathroom door with her pyjamas and slippers on. I carried her feet, he carried her head. I laid her alongside the fish pond. Then James went off to work at the barbershop like it was just a regular day. The next morning, James returned the snakes, lethal and lightning, to snake Joes for a partial refund. Yeah, well, he may be a greedy, murderous asshole, but hey, at least he's cheap too. An autopsy into Mary's death showed that her lungs were filled with water, which led the medical examiner to determine she died by accidental drowning. Now, her left leg had puncture wounds, was very swollen, and had turned a dark shade of grey. But since the cause of death was drowning, hey, these findings weren't considered important at all. No, just a coincidence. Didn't matter. According to LA Mag, Hope avoided James' barbershop for several weeks after Mary's murder. When he eventually came back in, it seemed he had some trust issues around letting James near his throat with the straight razor. For some reason. (laughs) (laughs) Lois Wright, James' teenage niece who worked as a manicurist at his shop, recalled, he didn't let my uncle shave him. He went to another chair. Now, remember, everybody remember this is years before Manscaped and and Safe Shaving.
1: Oh, yes. Well, I mean, also I think he meant his face, like not his nutsack,
0: just FYI. you can use it on your face too. After a short period of pretending to be a grief-stricken widower, James contacted Mutual Life Insurance Company to redeem the proceeds of Mary's insurance policy. According to an LA Times article, while investigating the claim, a representative of the insurance company discovered that not only had James been married five times, but his third wife had also died by drowning. Like Mary, she'd taken out a large life insurance policy shortly before her death and named James as the beneficiary. Finding this fishier than a prawn trawler, he contacted the police. (laughs) After receiving the news, the police launched a covert investigation into Robert James. Although what they found was really not pretty, it also wasn't what they were expecting. Police put James under surveillance and noticed he and his niece, Lois Wright, were close. Very close. Uncomfortably close. Incestuously (laughs) close. close. On April the 19th, 1936, the police busted into his house and caught James in the act with his 19-year-old niece, Lois. They promptly booked creepy Uncle James on three morals charges of incest.
1: We'll be back with the conclusion of serial killer Rattlesnake James after this. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? How is this year going for you so far? Are you coping okay with the things happening in your life and the world? Do you wanna make changes in your life but you're not sure where to even start? There's no better time than now to take charge of your mental health. BetterHelp is there for you no matter where you are. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist you can connect in a safe and private online environment and you can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's professional counselling that produces real results, not self-help, and you can communicate with your counsellor anytime. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without having to leave your house. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counsellors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counselling. Financial aid is available and it's a service that you can access worldwide. You can be communicating with licensed professional counsellors who have a broad range of expertise and specialise in areas such as self-esteem, LGBTQIA matters family conflicts, sleeping problems, stress, and depression. Anything you share is confidential. It's convenient, professional, and very affordable. If you want to start living a more balanced life today, connect with BetterHelp. And as a Bloody Murder listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health and feel free to check out their positive testimonials on the website. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they've been recruiting additional counsellors in all 50 states of the USA. Get matched with a counsellor that suits you by simply filling out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs. So visit betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder. That's betterhelp.com forward slash bloody murder. California Dreaming is a true crime podcast launched in 2017 that delves into the dark side of the golden state and sometimes beyond. Born and raised in California, I not only cover the crimes that have fascinated me over the years, but the ones that have fascinated you as well. With a backlog of hundreds of episodes and bonuses and dozens more on Patreon, you'll have countless hours to binge. And with soothing music and a unique, quiet intensity you might just be lulled to sleep. Almost every episode is over an hour long, ad-free, with no loud bursts of music or audio clips. California Doomy is available on all your favorite directories, so hit subscribe and give it a try. It just might be your new
0: go-to bedtime podcast. And now for the conclusion of Serial Killer, Rattlesnake James.
1: Police hauled James off to the station and questioned him about his entirely inappropriate relationship with his niece and the drowning deaths of his third and fifth wives. In news that's not really surprising, this man who liked killing women and fornicating with young, impressionable family members did not stand up well under pressure. He quickly cracked during questioning and told them about the plot to kill Mary. Also unsurprising is that he wasn't one to take responsibility for his actions and tried to blame Mary's murder on his dodgy hot dog vendor mate Hope. When police told his niece Lois about James's alleged murder plot, she told them that she knew nothing about it but noted that he had been trying to get her to take out a life insurance policy too. Dodged a bullet there, Lois. Oh, Lois. Or a rattlesnake or a spider or a kangaroo or something. When police conducted a search of James's home where he'd lived with Mary, they not only found a black widow spider's nest, but also correspondence from marriage bureaus. According to the Los Angeles Times, another prize exhibit officers found in an envelope was a list of nearly 200 special feminine matrimonial prospects. Heavily underscored in the list was the name of a New York widow, 53 years of age, who advertised that she had an annual income of $10,000.
0: So, he was lining up some sugar mama to woo and do away with next.
1: Yeah, he sure was. While looking into his financial history, they found that James had also received a large payout after the untimely death of his young nephew, Sailor Cornelius Wright. James had invited his nephew to come visit him while he was on shore leave and convinced the young man that getting life insurance was a practical idea that would in no way lead to his murder. (laughs) Two weeks later, he lent his car to Cornelius, but not before he tampered with it, setting a deadly trap. James even sent a telegram to his sister informing her of Cornelius' death before it had actually happened. Jesus. Jesus. I know. (laughs) Later that day, while driving the borrowed car, Cornelius lost control of the vehicle and drove off a cliff. Unfortunately, he died on impact. The mechanic who towed the wreck back to Robert James told him that something had gone wrong with the steering wheel. And James would have been all like, oh, really? That's really surprising. Oh, she's usually a really good, reliable ride. Good
0: on the corners, you know. Great steering wheel, round and stuff. I don't know what happened. I don't know. Oh, it's just really shocking. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Living large off the proceeds of his nephew's murder In 1932, James opened up a barber shop And seduced a stunning blonde woman named Winona Wallace After proposing to Winona He convinced her to take out a life insurance policy worth $14,000 And of course make him the sole beneficiary
0: Of course
1: After they were married, James swept his new bride off her feet And took her away on a romantic honeymoon to Colorado But as we know, romance tends to lead to murder when you're dealing with this prick. According to court documents, while driving down a dangerous cliff in Pikes Peak, the car they were in careened off the road. In an unusual turn of events, James, who was driving, was completely unscathed in the accident, while Winona was found partially outside the car with her head smashed in but without any other significant injuries. A bloody hammer was found in the back of the car, but it wasn't considered pertinent
0: to the accident. So, in reality, James bashes his poor unsuspecting new bride's head in with a hammer, puts her in the passenger seat of the car and pushes it off a cliff. Then Axel, poor me, poor me. (laughs) (laughs) Then Axel, poor me. There's been a terrible accident. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, what happened? Fuck.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Now, luckily, Winona managed to survive the accident, but her head injuries had caused her to lose all memory of what had happened. So now, rather than rethinking his heinous life choices and taking this as a sign he should straighten up, fly right and stop killing those closest to him, James had another idea.
0: Drown her in the bathtub. That's the one.
1: While she was recovering from her injuries, James dragged Winona out of bed and drowned her in the bathtub. He also did the whole make sure you've got a friend with you when you discover the body routine at this time as well. So James said that silly Winona must have insisted on washing her hair while he was out and in her weakened state she drowned. Winona's death was ruled an accident and James collected the insurance money. Bastard. Yeah,
0: according to the LA Times, after buying himself some fancy new threads and a flashy Pierce Arrow convertible, James headed back home to Alabama to show everyone what a big successful man he'd become. His family were quite impressed with his showy displays of wealth, none more so than his teenage niece, Lois Wright. Lois was the daughter of his sister and the brother-in-law who had paid for him to attend barber school. James leveraged her admiration into a, hi baby, sexual relationship. (laughs) Yeah, no good deed goes unpunished, huh? James had Lois pack a bag and he took her away to L.A. so as not to let his good charm be ruined by his family's cries of keep it in your pants you incestuous bastard.
1: Or how's about I introduce your freckled pecker to my axe?
0: James then opened up a barber shop on 8th and Olive Streets and hired Lois as a manicurist. He also hired a 25-year-old strawberry blonde manicurist named Mary Bush. Burning through all his ill-gotten fortune like there was no tomorrow, James decided it was time he got himself a fourth wife, but made sure to keep seeing his niece on the down low because (laughs) he's a vile piece of shit. Certainly is. Blushing bride number four, Ruth Thomas, turned out to be a woman who is not to be trifled with. After they were wed, he put the pressure on her to take out a life insurance policy naming him as a sole beneficiary and Ruth was like, yeah, nah. (laughs) She she didn't like doctors, so she was hesitant to have the physical examination necessary to obtain the policy and she was also possibly a true crime fan ahead of her time. (laughs) As he told James... People who get insured always die of something strange, mate. Ah, she's not wrong. Not being able to manipulate Ruth, he dumped her like a hot potato and applied to have the marriage annulled. James didn't have to look far to find a new victim in his barbershop manicurist, 25-year-old Mary Bush. Although he strongly resembled a ventriloquist dummy, it (laughs) it seemed James had no trouble charming the ladies. Declaring his undying love for Mary... James Sweet talked her into taking out a $10,000 life insurance policy with you-know-who as the sole beneficiary. According to the LA Times, he paid a wino $50 to impersonate a minister and was quickly fake married to wife number five. A few weeks later, when the annulment from his marriage to Ruth came through, he married Mary again in the presence of a real minister and the two moved into his new house in La Canada.
1: After Mary's death and the investigation into Robert Jane's and his incestuous affair with his niece hit the newspaper headlines, a tipster told police that hot dog vendor Charles Hope knew more than a little bit about the case. Upon questioning, Hope told police that James had given him $100 to procure two rattlesnakes for him and gave them the details of the horrendous plot to kill poor Mary. Robert James and Charles Hope were charged with first-degree murder on May 6, 1937. The two were handcuffed together at their arraignment, and it did not go well. They both accused each other of lying about the plot, and nearly came to comical blows when James threatened Hope in his high-pitched voice, saying,
0: "If you plead guilty, I'll break your fucking neck. Yeah, go do it. Go do it. You, go do it. You better. You better not. I'll bloody will get Fuck I'll you. Bloody get you. Fuck you, motherfucker." <laughs>
1: Despite how amusing this must have been to see the two rambunctious numbskulls try to duke it out, cuffed together in a demented version of a three-legged race, the authorities decided it was probably best to separate the two. Investigators went to visit purveyor of fine rattlesnakes, Snake Joe, and found that he was still in possession of the two rattlesnakes, Lethal and Lightning, which had been used in an attempt on Mary's life. According to LA Mag, the snakes were brought to the DA's office in a cardboard box to have their venom collected, even though Mary had been murdered by drowning. Using a looped piece of wire, Snake Joe caught the snakes separately and pushed their heads toward a jar. When they struck, their fangs pierced a rubber membrane stretched across the top of the jar, which milked them of their venom. On June 2nd, 1937, disgusting Uncle Robert James was sentenced to 150 years in prison on the three morals charges involving his niece, Lois.
0: On June 19th, in exchange for the death penalty being waived, Charles Hope pleaded guilty to one charge of first-degree murder. His testimony would help seal Robert James's fate. Despite this, James pleaded not guilty. His trial began on June the 22nd, and due to the salacious and bizarre nature of the case, it was quite a media circus. According to the LA Times, only a few minutes before being called to the stand, Charles Hope suddenly became ill and had to be removed from the courtroom to recover. Robert James himself turned the colour of clay at the same time the Deputy Sheriff Toohey testified to what he found when he reached the fish pond death house in La Canada drama baby on July the 15th it was James's turn to take the stand in his own defense he claimed that the confession was false and had been coerced from him under duress the same day according to LA mag the prosecutors had the theatrical and nutty idea of having James and Hope reenact the murder scene for the court they wrote James climbed onto the heavy mahogany attorney's table. He lay on his back as Mary James is supposed to have been lying. Hope was led alongside. In the little play, he was supposed to seize James's foot and jam it into the replica of the original snake box. But instead, the two dickheads started trading insults with each other and the reenactment quickly morphed into an all-out brawl. During the altercation, Rattlesnakes, Lethal and Lightning, who were in a cardboard box as part of the evidence for the prosecution, became agitated and started rattling their little asses off. You can imagine these two little rattlesnakes twerking.
1: (laughs) (laughs) According to media reports at the time, Lethal found his way out of the cardboard box and slithered across the courtroom floor hiding under a bookcase. As you can imagine, this sent the courtroom into a state of panic with people screaming and running in all directions trying to avoid being bitten. Fortunately for those present, Snake Joe kept his cool and managed to catch lethal and put him firmly back in his box before anybody was hurt. Maybe put him in a bag next time, Snake Joe. I mean, I don't want to tell you how to do your job, but this whole cardboard box thing isn't working out well.
0: Especially when you've got twerking snakes. Not when they're twerking. Nobody can
1: contain that. Jesus (laughs) Christ. On July 25th, Robert James was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to death by hanging. According to LA Mag, when he was informed of his fate, he remained calm and simply said, I can take it. (laughs) (laughs) James whiled away his last years alive on death row, eating his feelings until he doubled in size. He also unsuccessfully appealed his conviction and found his Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, due to the efforts of a religious worker named Helen Atkinson who had, for reasons unknown, fallen in love with the serial-killing cat. As you do. Well, as you don't. (laughs) When his last appeal was denied, James made an attempt at feigning an honourable attitude by telling those present... I can take it. Let's just say that rattlesnake James is not afraid to die. I,
0: honestly, I really don't think he sounds like
1: that. I'm pretty sure that's exactly how he sounded Cambo. In fact, that was a recording of exactly his voice. That was not a reenactment. That was like a live recording from the time.
0: <laughs> on May the second, nineteen forty-two, the Los Angeles Times reported on James's execution saying. Robert James mounted the 13 steps to the hangman's noose and death on San Quentin Gallows today. He was calm to the end. There was a strange look of triumph in his sharp eyes as he glanced down at the 98 reporters, officials and guards who stood in the high-ceilinged, raftered death house. His appearance, almost boyish, gave the impression that he'd been interrupted by his executioners while dressing for a dance. In an interesting twist of fate, the rope used to hang him was the wrong length and it took over 10 whole minutes for Rattlesnake James to die.
1: According to AnitaBrenner.com, the warden on duty at the time, Warden Duffy's, description of the execution was deemed unprintable due to its graphic nature. Duffy told the media, Maybe it would help if you could print what I said. It'd do the people good to know exactly how their mandate was carried out. Every juror who ever voted for the death penalty, every judge who ever pronounced sentence, every legislator who helped pass the law that made it necessary for us all to go through this ordeal would have been with me today. I have nothing more to say except that this was the most terrible experience of my life and I pray to God I shall never have to repeat it.
0: Robert James was the last man hanged in California.
1: And it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. Though it, it sounds like it would have been completely just horrifying to be there watching it, though.
0: Well, he wasn't that good at killing people and it looks like the karma bus picked him up and his execution was just as well planned. Boom, fuck-a-lunga. I can't argue with that. Hey, Tara, I have a question for you.
1: Yes, Cambo?
0: What? Is Aussie-as.
1: Oh, you don't know either. Aussie-as are tales of criminal stupidity and bloody legends with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Would you like to hear one? Send it.
0: <coughs> Send it, Tara.
1: <laughs> okay, I will. All righty, but you got to help me out by doing one of the voices, all right? No fucker worries. No fucker worries. Awesome. What's the best voice for this? Uh, just your own voice, probably a bit more appealing than the high pitch one we've been doing lately. No, I'm sorry, Tara. <laughs> nice. Thank you, pal. On a sunny Saturday, Arvo, in late February this year, two mates, Jackson and Noah, had the bloody genius idea of packing an esky full of beer and floating around on an inflatable mattress in the ocean off the Mandurah
0: coast in Western Australia. Jacko told the media, We had this mattress at the front of Noah's house. It was a bit deflated, so we decided to pump it up, go down, And have a drift on the water but floating fun times on the tinny soon took a turn for the worst jacko told sunrise we just thought we'd go out and drift around on the water for a moment on the mattress and then we realized the wind had taken us out we only aimed to be 100 meters offshore max and before we knew it we're out to sea
1: (laughs) the boost up blokes weren't too fussed about their accidental adventure At first, Jacko said, As long
0: as we had enough beers to keep us going, we were all right. As soon as the beers got a bit low, we tried to head back in. We couldn't paddle against the wind and we just kept going further and further out. Not helping matters was the fact that the
1: inflatable mattress they were adrift on was full of holes, which meant the air was constantly seeping out of it. A lot like you and your burps, Cambo. Now, Nosy had to jump in the water every 10 minutes or so to blow air back in the mattress to stop it from deflating and sinking. By this time, the battery charge on both their phones was down to single digits, so if they wanted help, they had to act quickly. They called their mate Tex and explained the situation. Trusty Tex was the right man for the job. He sprung into action and hit the water on his jet ski, searching the ocean for his pals in peril. According to Lad Bible, by then the fellas were over four kilometres, or like t- two or so miles, out at sea. Jacko said, "All we knew
0: is that Tex was thirty or forty minutes away, and we're just hoping he finds us because all of our phones were dying, and we we're kind of getting worried at that point."
1: <laughs> yeah, because they nearly ran out. Yeah, of the that's year. more like it. Fortunately for the rambunctious blokes, good old Tex rescued them like a knight in shining armor. Jumping aboard his noble jet ski steed, he whisked them back to shore in safety. Oh man, they must have owed him at least a carton of his favorite beers for that sterling effort, right, Cambo?
0: I've got a few listeners from Manjura, and it sounds like a normal Saturday Ave type shit to me with that light. And hi hi Pat, if you're listening. <laughs>
1: hello to all the listeners from mandura enjoy your float mates
0: so this brings us to the end of the episode
1: but before we go we'd like to thank some people who took the time to write us some good reviews so thank you to Sico 37 from the usa winter rose Thorn from great britain gundagal from australia lori led from great britain miss wesco from the united states and finna Misha from ireland We've also had a bunch of new bloody legends join our Bloody Murder Patreon program. So thank you so much to Taryn Morgan, Lindy Beaumont, Jess Owens, James Harrington, Leah Laley, oh, the lovely ladies from Resolve Mysteries podcast, Kelly Bosworth, Alison Schaefermeyer, Kelly Alicia, Tanya Johnson, Susan Sorabella, Sapphire Young, Tracy Gaspari, Cricket Bidwell, and Belinda Evans. Uh, what about you, Cambo? Do you have some patrons to thank? Yeah. You probably had an episode, bef- like we haven't had an episode out in over a month, so we've got a bit of a list there. Yeah,
0: look, I've, I'll shout out a few new ones and a couple that just joined. Big shout out to FTB, Blasphemous JP, yeah. Liana Hardy, Helen Travora, our big mate. Jason Abercrombie's come back hey. on board. And Brenda Gala.
1: Now, I'd also like to announce that the winner of our March patron prize was Anna Kivamaki. So thank you so much and congratulations, Anna. She
0: has an umlaut. Is that an umlaut? I
1: know, and I probably pronounced yeah, her name sorry, incorrectly. Anna,
0: if, it's, if Tara's just fucked up your name.
1: Yeah, But sorry. she didn't
0: mean it. Oh, no,
1: no, there was no malice in, involved. She said. So I've been Tara
0: Saravan. And I've been Cambo Ford. And this has been Bloody Murder on True Crime Island.
1: Please don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcatcher. You don't
0: need to write a well-crafted essay. I'm sure you can or you can't. Just five stars, <laughs> that'd be nice. And Boom <laughs> would still count. <laughs>
1: And, of course, rate and subscribe. It really helps us keep our metaphorical inflatable mattresses seaworthy.
0: Feel free to feel us. Uh, Wait, oh. no. Feel free. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, follow us through our mm-hmm. social media.
1: And check out our websites for news, galleries, more episodes and links to our merchandise. Thanks for sticking around and we'll be back soon. So keep kicking against the pricks.
0: And don't forget to delete your browser history.
1: manscaped shirt because it's the most comfortable shirt in the world however I can't wear it out of the house because it says in huge letters on the back and the front your balls will thank you and I figure that's not the message I want to be sending when I'm walking down the street
0: well (laughs) I was in the uh, in the lift the other day I only had to go down and get beer again oh
1: well there you go um,
0: I just grabbed any shirt I could because as you know I don't wear any clothes. Well, so, no,
1: not often when we're Skyping, you fucking don't, bloody nudist. You so didn't know the camera I, was on, apparently. I didn't know. Apparently.
0: It's Facebook is asking for permission to listen and obviously watch. And I just clicked, that next thing you know, I pop up and I'm not wearing anything. Oh, I'm just like,
1: Cambo, going to do this recording naked, are we?
0: Oh, I've only got my four Tough boxer shorts on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, whoa, hang on. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, hello, this isn't what
1: I was expecting. Uh, you roll differently to us. Uh, we tend yeah. to wear clothes most of the time.
0: No, work from home.
1: So, Cambo, we got a new rescue dog. Her name's Tilda, and she's like a staffy bulldog cross. She's about five. She must have been used for breeding, because, you know, she's got some mama titties happening. Um, she's super friendly, cuddly, beautiful dog, but completely unsocialized. So <laughs> when you take her for a walk, if she sees another dog, she goes banana, she stands on her hind legs, she waves her arms in the air and just goes fucking crazy. So we walk her in this industrial estate nearby because you're less likely to bump that dog. Yeah. She's also very fond of People. Like everybody is her very best friend, which is rare for a rescue dog. Our, our last rescue dog, Poppy, God bless her soul, um, she did not like strangers. But Tilda, a stranger's just a friend she hasn't met yet, whereas I'm more like a stranger's just a cunt I haven't met yet, so it doesn't really <laughs> mesh. But so I walk around the industrial estate and there's a lot of dudes in like day glow vests, you know, doing their jobs, unpacking things into vans, packing things into vans. And she tries to drag me towards the men in the white vans.
0: It's like she,
1: like she's really low to the ground and really muscly and strong. Like, she lifts, bro. She lifts. Uh, so it's kind of like a, she's a speedboat and I'm a water skier. It's like when Fonzie jumped the shark. Uh, but she's always trying to drag me towards these vans with these, like, random dudes in them. I swear to God she's trying to get us kidnapped.
0: Looking for the free candy.
1: Yeah, where's the free hugs, cunt? But, um, yes, it's her. There was she's, no candy. <laughs> she's a lovely girl, but, uh, Yeah, we're trying to uh, train her out of the habit of, well, trying to get us kidnapped, essentially. Because, you know, when you grow up as a a young girl, you're told maybe don't go near the white vans with the strange men inside them. Maybe avoid those. But not Tilda. (laughs) She's like, that's what I run out. That's what I'm into.
0: Anyway. (laughs) Um, Well if you're not here next if you're not here next episode, next week. Oh no. Well, we'll look out for the strange vans down the industrial site.
1: Yeah, yeah, you might have to check them out and see if there's like a really happy waggly like white dog in there. Go, hey. (laughs) Hey, There were free mugs.
0: That's Tilda. (laughs) Where's Tara? (laughs) Tilda, where's Tara?
1: Oh, I don't know. But this is my new friend Steve.
0: He's really cool. (laughs) Maybe you need to just wear a uh, maybe you just need to wear your own high vis vest.
1: Yeah. Well, she, she had a thing for blondes when we first got her as well. She tried to drag us towards blonde women and it was kind of like, Susan, Susan, it's me, wow. Susan, Susan. It was kind of like she thought she knew them. So I figure in her past yeah. she must have known, you know, tradie dudes and blonde women and they were people that she, she enjoyed the company of because she seems to have quite a fixation on them.
0: Yeah, the blonde surfy tradie dude with the uh, big van.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's what she's into. That's her, her natural predilection. And now she's living with the the black wearing, bloody dark haired, hipsterish fuckers like us. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm just imagining Warwick Kappa, You meet him walking down the street and he's got a high-vis vest on.
1: Oh, Tilda would go bananas. She'd be on her on her back legs. Oh, it can also be embarrassing too because one day a tradie was like leaning over the bonnet of his of his his truck, like his ute, and he was talking to a, someone on the phone and she just jumped up and placed both of her paws on his butt cheeks. <laughs> and he was like, what
0: the fuck?
1: He took it pretty well, but she just he blessed took him. It. He actually <laughs> took it. He was like, "What the fuck?" Oh. oh, okay, yeah. Uh, you know, he, d- he didn't call the police, so I guess that was something. Oh, that's
0: okay. Bit of a <laughs> bit of a thrill.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, you never quite know what's going to happen. <laughs>
0: yeah. Jesus Christ.
1: Um. Do you want to tell a story now or tell one later? We can jump I'll tell, in. And- I'll,
0: I'll talk now. Yeah, go for it. Well, as you know, I was down in Melbourne the other day because I actually met you, so you do know. But maybe I that do all, know. The, all the listeners don't know. But uh, on Friday, last Friday night, I met. Uh, last Friday night, I met Barney. What's a pub called? How do you call it? Sorry. Oh, Edie's. Okay. Last Friday night, I met Barney down at Edie's pub down in Brunswick, and so we're having a few beers out the front. And then he said, oh, they've got a really nice beer garden out the back and I needed to take a leak. And he says, oh, we'll go out the back, we'll go sit out there and I'll show you where the toilets are on the way. So as we're walking through the front of this, and it's like a a thin, narrow terrace-type building, he's walking through, I'm following him, and he says... I know
1: where this story's going to go because I know what he's like.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So he goes, there's the toilets there, I'll go grab us a seat out the back. So I'm literally... In the toilet and out of sight of Barney for 30 seconds and 10 mm-hmm. seconds. Oh, no, sorry. 20 seconds hand washing time. Happy birthday oh, yes. to you. Happy birthday. Yeah. <laughs> and as soon as I get out and I walk into the beer garden, Barney's already surrounded by new friends. People he didn't know. <laughs> they're our new friends.
1: That's what he does. Every time I go out drinking with him and I get up to, to go to the bar or go to the toilet or something, by the time I get back, he's like sitting at another table full of people with all his brand-new friends. You know he's been ejected from that pub for being too friendly. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Look, I can imagine. But it was such <laughs> a great night. It was great to catch up with Barney. It was great to catch up with you on Saturday night. Fantastic. Melbourne was starting to get a little bit cold. So luck- it was
1: fucking freezing. Yeah, we had
0: the uh, fire going, so that was all right. And oh, did um, all
1: your clothes end up smelling like fire? Yeah, all they my did clothes a bit. and my hair did after we met up on Saturday night. But yeah. that's
0: okay. And, and you were the
1: worst for wear as well. You couldn't even tell me what time you guys finished off that night. No, um, uh, lucky I, uh, lucky I wasn't available. I could have done myself some damage too.
0: I was staying at the East Brunswick Hotel, which is one of those really nice little pubs on a corner, and they've got those really old-style room. So rather than just the normal chain hotel, I thought, oh, I'll pick this one. It's not far from Barney's house as well. And um, it was it had the high ceilings. I had chandeliers, the whole deal. You actually had a key, oh. a key you had to turn in the lock. It didn't have a, a swipe pass or anything. It was really good. so
1: old school. And
0: the food was really good too. And when I got back from uh, at the pub from you, I walked in and I said, oh, I said, oh, I'm burping again." I said, <laughs> <laughs> "I think we're going to just have to get used to your burping." I think that so. Seems
1: to be uh, something that ain't going nowhere. I'm having a
0: few furfies while we do this, and oh, um, I'm
1: jealous. I'm not going to crack that till later. So
0: I get in there, and the barman's there, and it looks like things are starting to shut down. But they've got a little ju- piano dueling section off to the side, and I said, "Oh, you haven't got any fries, have you?" And he goes, "Oh, I think the kitchen's still open." And so I got some fries. He said, just go up to your room. I'll get them to bring them up to you. So, oh, fantastic place to stay. The burgers were great. And, um, yeah, if you're ever in town, East Brunswick Hotel.
1: Yeah, and if uh, Cambo's in Melbourne and you want to stalk him, he'll probably be
0: back. Oh, yeah. I was walking down the street and Kate, hi, Kate, uh, she stops me in the street going, are you Cambo? Well, she didn't say it like that. She goes, oh you... <laughs> <laughs> that's how you would have said it. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> are, you, are you Cambo? And I said, Yeah. I honestly wear what I wear on my YouTube channel everywhere. So it's not just an act. I've got uh, when the...
1: you wear clothes, that is.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When I go out, I've got the Hawaiian <laughs> shirt on, the sunglasses on. I'm walking down the street. That's how I am. So uh, yeah. Uh, shout out to Kate and the boyfriend. So have a good one.
1: Ah, oh, that must have been fun. Yeah, we've only been recognized a couple of times. And once was because of how Barney looked, and once was because of how I sounded. Must have been dropping a few C, C- bombs in the dog park <laughs> a couple of years back. And this s- s- young woman came up to me and was like, Do you have a podcast? You Every- know that wary lady who talks about murder.
0: Everyone. Everyone has a podcast.
1: Oh, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Not just the one. <laughs> Where's our second podcast? Where's our third podcast? Oh, That's the question. Yeah.
0: The man's no-
1: <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, you cracked me up Problem. so hard. You don't even have to try. <laughs> it's criminal.
0: <laughs> oh it get a few free hot dogs. The- <laughs> <laughs> I'll get you free hot dogs whenever you want them, Mary. With a bit of ketchup. And wait for their payday to come rolling in. Ka-ching. Rang is going to get the bag.
1: So, okay, get the bag. Is this how the cool kids are talking now? What does, I mean, I'm assuming get the bag means make money.
0: Yeah, that's what it means. It's just like, I saw on the news the other day, the cash say, how about that? That girl Uh, who was on Dr. Phil. And Dr. mm -hmm. Phil's there going, oh, you've got such a bad attitude and this. You're only 13 years old. And she's calling all the audience members hoes and all this. She just didn't care. And Dr. Phil's thinking, you're going nowhere. She steals cars at that age. She steals a mum's credit card. She just does not give a fuck. Anyway, she just turned 18. And only a couple of days later, she opens an OnlyFans account. Uh, Of course she does. She's now a millionaire. Oh, my God. People will pay for well
1: all kinds of yeah. crap, won't they?
0: Well, she did do a bit rapping before that. It must have been, catch me outside, how about that? <laughs> catch me outside, how about that? Fuck but you, there you go. So, two fingers to Dr. Phil. <laughs> there you go. You said I'd amount to nothing. Now I've got a million bucks. There you go. Yeah.
1: Yeah, good point. And Doctor Phil's are like, "Well, I know I sound like Huckleberry Hound, but I'm also incredibly wise."
0: And and ladies, I'll start my OnlyFans account as soon as we get off the recording.
1: Oh, absolutely! I think your OnlyFans account would go quite well, Cambo. Oh, I mean, God. I've seen the goods earlier today. Oh. Uh, well, at least some of them, because <laughs> <laughs> someone answers their uh, their video chats topless, don't they, mate?
0: I do. It's the only it way wasn't to go. Me. <laughs> of, everyone gets a thrill when they talk to me. They had, they had the intercom on in the room, and they kept lying that it wasn't on, and they were using sonic pressure on my head since 1997.